0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This is a True Faith Review podcast. I'm Norman Reilly, joined by Chris Shipman, and we're going to discuss Newcastle United's Quite frankly, phenomenal victory away to Tottenham Hotspur yesterday. Before we crack on, let me just say that if you like what you hear and you haven't already subscribed, please do consider going to our Patreon page and subscribing. For seven quid a month, you'll get three to four to five even extra podcasts a week of Newcastle United content, content and also football. In a wider sense, um, for example, I did a podcast with James Bentley of. Um, berry yesterday about their current situation so it's not just Newcastle united although it overwhelmingly is if that's what floats your boat um have a look at it see what you think subscribe seven quid a month it's a bargain right we well, crap crack on chris what a day yesterday my friend um as we sat here in your living room in southeast london it's barely 10 o'clock in the morning and it's probably already 30 degrees but um it's pretty rusty the i think the day of the sunshine outside kind of reflects our mood both a huge surprise at this time of year and um, very welcome. Um, the day we had yesterday, we'll start. We'll start from the beginning. Um, just talk me through your your pre-match feelings and and how you felt when the lineup was announced. I suppose and you know you look at that to kind of count our Spurs lineup.
2: Yeah, we uh, the in terms of optimism levels early on. I don't know if there there was much. Um, there was talk about it being the freest of free hits and. I think that's fair. I don't think we're necessarily expecting uh, anything, you know, not even necessarily a point, but we're just going there in hopes of a better performance. And I'm going to be honest; like, a large part of my curiosity and interest in this game was to go to a ground that I hadn't been to before. Um, So, optimism levels weren't necessarily high. Um, A lot of talk in the week about. Bruce and tactics and formations, and we, I guess we were slightly heartened to see uh, the switch back to a more Rafa-esque uh, formation and setup. Um, yeah, I th- I think kind of you know we we're as positive as we could be uh, about that lineup, but uh, weren't necessarily expecting too much. Um, Saint so Maximan coming back was kind of of interest, and mm-hmm. you know we all saw how that panned out. I'm sure we'll talk about the substitution, what that meant for the game, uh, further on. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of it was fairly kind of a low level anticipation uh, when the when the lineups came out. To be honest,
1: Uh it's interesting because obviously we um, we headed up to the Tottenham area around about one thirty. And went to a, um a cracking little pub on West Green Road called True Craft. Um, really good beer, outrageously good pizza, um, and it was it was a pleasant way to spend a Sunday. And it was almost like the football was going to be the the part <laughs> of the day that. Kind of spoil that. Um, But, I mean, as the the lineup was announced, I think, at that point, I don't necessarily think I had any optimism that we'd get anything out of the game, but I was pleased because, obviously, I think what we've all thought this season so far is if Bruce hasn't had enough time with the players, which is a a perception that's being pushed by the media, Mm -hmm. then why would he try to change something that gave that particular squad relative success last season in the season before, but um he did and it backfired in those two first games and I think we discussed pre match and certainly during the week that we weren't particularly in with the thought of Shelby starting. He seemed yeah. to he seemed to really take a lot of the the driving spirit out of the side because I think once he's in that side, it kind of becomes all about him. It's like how how quickly can we get John Joe on the ball? Let's wait for John Joe to split the defence open let's wait for John Joe to create something. In that almost takes away the, the concentration levels of the rest of the players on the pitch and obviously the way that he keeps coming deep for the ball it affects how we are um, as an attacking force because there's just this huge gap between the front and the back but reverting back to the Rafa formation or the, the formation that Rafa created let's not call it the Rafa formation it's the formation that we first saw in our Rafa Steve Bruce chose it yesterday it was his formation but to do that with those players who are familiar with it I thought was a really bold move because obviously the way that Bruce has been torn in the press this week part of me thought that he might want to have, he might want to kind of, you know, lay mark, like put a line in the sand, as he calls it, and just stick to what he thinks is going to work as, out of sort of, you know, stubbornness. But yep. he didn't. He changed. And, you know, fair play for doing that. And I was looking forward to seeing how those players responded to see whether or not it was a case of picking up where we almost left off last season. Um, and obviously, as we go into it, we'll, we realise that we did. Um, but we, we left the pub at around sort of 3.30, walked up um, Tottenham High Road. And the stadium as we approached it just appears like this um this spaceship it's spectacular in the middle smack in the middle of tottenham high road tottenham high road it's got it's got a lot of charm but it's not (laughs) you know it's not um it's not what you'd call a, a slick clean modern high street it's gritty let's say and then this shining beacon of of the future just appears before you doesn't
2: it yeah it dazzles you in the eyes uh definitely i mean architecturally very impressive. Um, and obviously it's kind of the most modern of modern stadiums, but even kind of coming up to it on the outside and even if you're a traditionalist and I, I totally get why you'd want to go to a traditional ground. you know, there's a lot generally more to recommend them, but it's, it's very impressive architecturally. Um, you know, some, some quite kind of dazzling screens on the outside. And then I think that was continued, uh, when, when we got inside as well, um, it was very much, uh, I think one of my worries coming to this was um, just having experienced the London Stadium. Now I know that that was an athletics track converted to a mm-hmm. football stadium, but it just did kind of it is kind of lodged in my mind as uh, the example of a kind of modern stadium, uh, and the worry that it might be a bit more like that rather than you know a football awesome. stadium. But any fears about that were totally allayed when we got in there. It was it was very impressive, uh, all shiny chrome and uh, you know uh, interesting angles. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I was very impressed by it.
1: Yeah, they seem to have um, kept the, the, weirdly, the tightness of Whitehall Lane, so mm. you almost feel as if you're on the pitch when you're watching it. Yep. But at the same time, they've combined it with an acoustic setup that reminds me of Wembley, mm. um, which is quite clever, really, given that they played at Wembley for two to three seasons. <laughs> um, and the noise that's generated because of the way the stadium's designed is absolutely phenomenal it is it's a it's definitely a blueprint for what any yeah. new build should be and i'm really glad that they kept it in the same area as well even though they've turned the pitch around not they? 90 degrees, um, 90 I degrees I guess, high yeah. but um it it was great that it's still in that same area and obviously the, the fact is that it's, it's brought a lot of jobs to the area Um, little just little things like using beaver town brewery to su- supply the beer inside yeah they've, they've nailed it as far as i'm concerned because they've got these kind of huge open areas at the bar there's loads of space they do really good beer. It's not that expensive for a football stadium in London, yeah. um, and it's a local company. So the whole setup is it, it is part of a regeneration of an area that is socioeconomically deprived, and hopefully mm-hmm. the knock on effects of that will you know come to be seen over the course of the next few years. Um, in terms of atmosphere, I mean, when we got there, obviously, I wasn't expecting too much of an atmosphere from the Newcastle fans because this season we've had that, that wobbly start, and there's obviously you know a, a lot of. I wouldn't say mistrust of Bruce just a lot of reservations um and I'm one of them absolutely 100% um you know holding judgment on on him due to the fact that his his record up to up to this point hasn't been great over the last few years and I was expecting a relatively muted atmosphere but as we walked in um I think Joe Root just hit a four to win the uh this particular test and what was it like that noise what was the it noise was, like in that ball it
2: was a six a six think. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely raucous. I mean, I didn't necessarily expect Newcastle fans to be going that gaga about the cricket, but uh, it was quite some kind of way to be ushered into new grounds. Yeah, I mean, cricket-wise, not something that I'm kind of hugely happy about, um, having grown up in Australia, but uh, yeah, in terms of atmosphere, uh, it was was quite a kind of little baptism there. Uh, And then we got into the stands, and I think you, you talked about the kind of, the way that they've set up being, you know, that you're quite close to the pitch. I think something that I noticed a lot was that the sides of the of the ground are really steep. Mm-hmm, um, exactly. Almost like uh, I was saying, it was like a basketball uh, yeah. stadium. South uh, American and stadium and, for yeah, me, it was like, like yeah. You, yeah, you were saying it was like a South American stadium, and yeah, that was kind of um, I think that really contributes to the the acoustics of the place mm-hmm. and the way and the way that the kind of noise. Uh, spreads around and is kept within the ground yeah. unlike say for example the London Stadium where it just dissipates mm-hmm. um, Yeah. so yeah it was impressive
1: um, before we crack on with discussing the game uh, let's talk about the seating that we had because Spurs have got the capacity there for safe standing and how good was it how good was it to have that those barriers set up with enough leg space for people to be stood up comfortably and to actually feel like you were, to a certain extent, you were on terraces. It yeah, didn't yeah. feel like, were, it, to me, it didn't feel like I was standing in a seated area. It felt like I was standing in a standing area that happened to have a seat just in case it was necessary.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, it's fantastic. And um, yeah, you mentioned leg, the leg room of it. And I think it's a real blueprint for the way that football stadium need to go over the next few years. Um, and I have nothing to praise for it. Uh, and if nothing else, you know, in those slightly more stressful moments, you have something to grip onto, um, <laughs> ah, yeah. even though because they're made of metal and in kind of 35 degree heat or whatever it was in the stadium, it was pretty hot to the touch. Um, but yeah, nothing but praise for the safe standing there, so yeah.
1: Oh, I mean, you mentioned the weather there as well. Um, I can only imagine what it was like on a pitch. Two water breaks during the game, first time I've seen that in um, yeah. a Newcastle match. Um, absolutely necessary. I mean, we were stood in the stands and by half time, I was, I could feel myself dehydrate. I was like, I need to get a drink of water because this is insanely hot. I mean, I, I'm a 42-year-old man. I had top off I was that hot. Um, <laughs> hopefully, that wasn't captured on the TV cameras. But um, who knows? You um, weren't the only one. I wasn't the only one. I, um, and it was insanely hot. I mean, you know, the temperature outside the ground must have been in the, in the lower 30s. Pitch side, it, it must have, I'd say you probably hit 40 on the, is it a, is it a barometer or a thermometer? Or? One
2: of the monitors
1: one, one of the mommeters, I am. Um, I don't think that necessarily affected either, per- um, either side's performance, to be honest with you. Um, going into the game overall, an absolutely brilliant game. Obviously, we won, so it was a brilliant game for us, Spurs fans probably wouldn't agree. But first 15 minutes, mate. Um, I wasn't nervous at all before this game because I thoroughly expected us mm-hmm. to lose and to lose comfortably. So the first 15 minutes, I wouldn't say I felt relieved. I just felt pleasantly surprised. Um, what... Did, did, let, think, did we look troubled from kickoff, or did to you did we look relatively comfortable
2: I think something that was noticeable throughout the game and even when we were getting a Spurs onslaught was that there was a kind of coolness and a calmness mm-hmm. to the performance and yeah of course at home Spurs are going to come at you as, as they did early on and indeed throughout the game they had 79% possession but you know we were anticipating that and expecting it we'd set up accordingly and this was a side that are used to this from previous years, obviously with a couple of additions um, and Kraft actually will, I'm sure we'll talk about players, but Kraft I thought handled himself quite well. Um, But generally it's a side that are used to this kind of setup and used to kind of digging deep and, you know, putting bodies in and tackles in and all of the cliches of defensive modern football. But yeah, there was a kind of coolness. um, And as you say, it's relaxed. Uh, And I think that, There was a nervousness in the stands to a degree because you're anticipating a beating, even if you're not necessarily, you're anticipating it. But, you know, I think that calmness from the players did filter into the crowd Mm -hmm. somewhat. Uh, And a lot of the time we talk about that relationship being the other way around and the the kind of, the fans affect the performance on the pitch. But what was noticeable for me was actually the the inverse of that, Mm -hmm. the opposite. but, yeah, I mean, it was a very, very solid, kind of strong opening and gave us a good foundation.
1: It did. And I think, um, interestingly enough, we didn't necessarily look dangerous, um, although Longstaff, I think, had a. Was it Longstaff had that really good chance in yeah. the first 20 minutes? Um, wonderful bit of football. Um, the balls played out with Longstaff on the right hand side. And it's interesting because I think he had Joel Linton and. Possibly Atsu was on by this point. Atsu um, was on. Op- point, yeah. Open for a pass. But we've seen long stuff. I mean, we saw the goal that he scored um, against Burnley last season. We saw him scud the ball from 35 yards against Huddersfield. He scored a lot of long-range goals for-, for Blackpool. He's got it and he's locked out to score goals. So, you know, nothing nothing wrong with him taking the shot from where he did. And he pinged it and I think Lloris produced a brilliant save. Yeah. But I just mentioned Atsu there and he was on the pitch when this happened. And... Maximum pulled up with a hamstring. I think for me it looks like a case of somebody probably coming back too early. Now I'm not blaming Bruce and his coach and stuff for that. That I get the impression that Maximan probably on the training ground this week has been in Bruce's yes, and that he wants to play. He gives there's you that impression. There's pressure there, you know. Exactly, there's pressure there. And and I'd imagine Maximan just wanted to play because mm-hmm. he clearly enjoys being on the pitch. Um but when he came off and he pulled up with that injury, interesting. My immediate thoughts were and, oh no, because Atsu was coming on and Atsu to me, has been vastly underrated um the last couple of seasons, especially last season when he played. Yeah. I thought he was incredibly effective. And the whole dynamic of the side seemed to change with the minutes of him being on the pitch, didn't it?
2: Yeah, he, he was absolutely fantastic. And I think we talked just now about the, the coolness of the players, but I think no one perhaps exemplified it more than Atsu, a player that has, as you say, been written off. And the guy behind us kind of going, you know, giving Atsu all kinds of I wouldn't say abuse, but any any little thing that he did, you know, running into kind of a Mm -hmm. corner, um, you know, just kind of, come on, Natsu. But I thought he was fantastic and he really opened up um, more options. And there were kind of moments where he was was running at a Spurs defence that, you know, this is a very experienced Spurs defence and that played in the Champions League last Mm -hmm. season, got to the final. You know, they're very high quality, but they they looked a bit jittery uh, with him. And I think even when he kind of was closed out, and there were moments where he had kind of four players around him on the side that we were on, uh, you know, he would he would be cool, turn around, bring someone else into play, and kind of move the ball forward through another route. And yeah, I was incredibly impressed by him. And you know, obviously, um, so Maximan's probably injured, so isn't going to be starting in the in the next uh, couple of games this week. But you know, Atsu definitely has kind of played himself into a starting position. I would say.
1: Couldn't agree more. Um, what also impressed me about him was he's uh, the, the, the closeness of his, closest of his control. Yeah. Getting the ball out from under his feet and managing to, uh, managing to keep a hold of it and, and, and working in such a short, small amount of space when he had, as you see, a three or four spurs, bodies around him and to actually produce something. And the, and the goal came from that, really. Yeah. Um, Atsu on the left-hand side is surrounded by two or three players. He manages to, to dig out a pass, I think, to Matt Ritchie. And uh, Ritchie plays it back into him. And, and this... Now we'll go on to Joe Linton because Joe Linton scored the goal and this is what, this is what was so beautiful about the goal. We watched it on the, on the bus on the way back numerous times <laughs> and by the time the goal went in already you could see Joe Linton had the better of Sanchez. Sanchez was yeah. panicking every time Joe Linton was getting near him. He absolutely had him in his pocket and Davins and Sanchez is a very, very good defender mm-hmm. but Joe Linton, he, had him, he absolutely had him beat from the fifth or sixth minute and that's how it worked throughout the whole game. Joe Linton's kind of involved, isn't he? I think actually, I think Atsu is in into Joe and Paps and Joe Linton puts it onto Richie. Um, yeah. I have to refresh my memory here. But Joe Linton's movement, he drifts inside about forty yards from the goal. Next thing you know, Richie's on. Uh, sorry, Atsu's on the ball, and he digs out this beautiful ball onto the toe just of Joe Linton. And Joe Linton's there, there, and he's just there all of a sudden, and that's really intelligent football the movement of Joe Linton for that goal regardless of the finish but the finish was fantastic cool composed whatever you want to say but it was that intelligence and movement to to get into the space where he knew he could do damage I don't know what your take on it was
2: I think also the timing of the run and yeah. watching it back on the replays as you say multiple times on the, on the top deck of the bus um, you know they did pause at that moment and show he was perfectly onside right on the edge but onside and that was really impressive for me. Um I was, you know, all all day I was really impressed by him and his hold up play was much better than it was against Norwich. Um we saw in preseason, you know, obviously against lesser sides that he can do that. Um but also kind of getting back um to help out the defence as well. But that goal was a what a way to kind of open your account in the Premier League, a way to spurs um like that. It was it was brilliant.
1: What do you think the um consensus was amongst the Newcastle fans when we scored? I I had one of those Moments that I've had in a few Newcastle games over the last few years when we've taken the lead against sides that you just don't expect us to score against.
2: Yeah.
1: Man United away when Dwight Gale scored to put one up. Um, Alex was there with me and I just I didn't react. I couldn't quite believe what had happened. Um, and then Man City last season. I think when the equalizer went in, it was so much of a shock to the system that there was there was zero reaction from me. Um, and I almost had that kind of moment yesterday and when we scored I felt like there was almost like a delayed reaction from the fans it, it, <laughs> the, the goal itself seemed to take an age, didn't it it, yeah. it was beautiful because it was right in front of us well which was fantastic and that ball just floated. it did didn't it and, and he's controlling I think that's a sign of how well Joe Linton did is that he managed to, to, to make it look as if he was doing it in slow motion mm-hmm. control sidestep, finish slowly and the reaction as I say it was delayed by milliseconds that was fantastic. And then obviously when you score and you settle down, you start thinking about how the rest of the game is going to pan out. I don't know yeah. what your feelings were from that point on until halftime. I think the
2: goal was impressive. And obviously we all went absolutely nuts after that slightly delayed kind of moment there. Um, you do kind of think in the back of your mind about VAR and is there something there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But once that, once that happened, you know, we were going kind of mental... And I did kind of catch myself just kind of going, well, I'm going to enjoy this goal because we don't know what's coming next. You know you know that Ericsson's on the bench. You know that this is a spurred side that have Son, they have Kane. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a huge amount of attacking assets that can really do damage. Um, but I was just kind of like, I'm, I'm going to enjoy this moment. And everyone was going absolutely mental. It, it was wonderful. And, you know, fortunately, held out.
1: Well, that, that's the thing you mentioned, VAR there. I was convinced that when we scored it had gone to VAR because all of a sudden everyone went to the touchline um, and I think I said on the Match Day podcast um, that I think I said VAR like three or four times it's gone to VAR, it's gone to VAR um, and it wasn't, it was for a water break so then we realised we'd scored yeah. and I think we we're, were relatively comfortable until half time and it, it was quite obvious by this point that Spurs were rudderless without Eriksen on the pitch. They just, they, I think Winks is full of endeavour and I actually think he's a really good player but he's not a playmaker and their most dangerous outlet by this point was sissoko and sissoko he can't cross particularly well and no. which they were trying to get him into the game and get him to put the ball in the box and it just wasn't working and we held our discipline we were so solid for the rest of the half that they were just passing sideways 35 to 40 yards from our goal it was all right actually like you know let them have the ball in the half let them build up the moment they get to 35 40 yards block them off yeah. a tactic that we're very familiar with a tactic that other players are very familiar with and we got to half time and we got onto the concourse at half time and it's at that point we start discussing the possibility to win this match. What can Pochettino do? And the big fear was Eriksson coming on. Yep. And we get out in the second half and he doesn't bring him on for 15 minutes. So I don't know about you, but again, for that first 15 minutes, I felt relatively comfortable.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it did seem throughout the kind of whole game, I know that we obviously had jitters, but there was a kind of... There was a calmness as, that kind of flowed through and I, I was worried about Ericsson coming on and uh, obviously he did but um, he didn't really make the difference that we thought he would and I don't think that's just kind of Ericsson and watching it back on Match the other day there was a lot of kind of uh, moaning about lack of creativity and, and everything from Spurs but I I think we also didn't let them play that way as you completely say um you know this isn't a case of spurs losing a game it's a case of newcastle winning it i think for me
1: absolutely so do you remember last season when we beat um, man city 2-1 at home and pep guardiola just went on about how they could not break down newcastle united's two defensive midfielders and that's what you had yesterday now isaac Hayden. I think yesterday he only drifted over at the right hand side once and that was it his disciplined performance yesterday was absolutely vital in negating Spurs working anything through the middle Mm they couldn't break were down we'll talk about the couple of chances that were had but that was always going to come away to a side as good as Spurs I'm talking about the match as a whole Isaac Hayden breaking up play breaking up play stopping the ball getting through covering space back to what he does best he was so good at it and he and Longstaff are clearly our best centre midfield pairing the running of long staff, his ability as we've mentioned to get from box to box but to also provide a defensive screen is is vital and those two together I, I don't think there's another partnership at the club that could have done what those two did yesterday uh, Ericsson comes on he doesn't have an impact on the game again Spurs have probably more of the ball if you could have more than what they had I mean you know you are looking at this they probably had 75% of the ball before he came on they had that extra 5% when he did get in the pitch but again we stopped them. Ericsson at one point, was basically on the half wheel and he was that deep. He, they couldn't work their way through and that's just testament to the, the three centre-halves in the two centre-midfielders, I think. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think you're completely right. They're the two best central midfielders in the club. Um, over the last couple of weeks, there's been talk about Steve Bruce building a side around John J. Shelby and obviously he was yeah. ejected for this game. Um, to throw a question back to you, like, where do you think this leaves him? Do you think he's coming back?
1: I, th- I think he will do because I think Bruce really rates him as a player. Um we can, we, I suppose we're, we're kind of veering into discussing home match territory here and obviously yeah. our next match is at home to Watford it's a, it's a huge one um, Shelby do you bring him back for the match against Watford because we're at home and we're expected to go on the front foot or do you think well actually why would you why would you bring him in when yeah. the two players that you've got are actually capable of doing what it is like, Yeah. Sean as far as I'm concerned Sean Longstaff has the capacity and the ability to do what John Joe Shelby can do in terms of creativity, mm-hmm. but he also does so much more. He's more energetic. He's quicker. As far as I'm concerned, he's a better finisher, mm-hmm. and he just offers. He offers you so much more um, running, and he and, and I just think there would just be for me there would just be no point in bringing Shelby back. Um, I think bringing Shelby back in if you know we have a three or four losing game streak and we need some kind of unorthodox spark from somewhere but right now I genuinely think that if we're in a home match against Watford if Longstaff's given a little bit more of a free rein, I'm not talking about the kind of Shelby free rein, as in just give John Joe the ball I'm talking about alright we're at home we're not going to be defending as deeply or as much as we were as as we have to against teams like Spurs or Man City Longstaff can offer that threat going forward so for me I, I don't see John Joe Shelby Deserving a place in the team over the next couple of weeks at least. Um, if someone goes wrong, all right, there's an option. But right now, you can't really change that centre midfield appearing and you don't need to bring a third centre midfield on the side. So right now, no, I don't see him, but so it'll be interesting to see see where we're head. It will. Um, the, I suppose we can get on to the, the team as a collective and in, in individual performances. Um, what, what was it about that unit that impressed you most? What did we do that we haven't been doing? And in terms of individual performances, who did you who really impress you? I mean, we've already mentioned here in long stuff, but we can go on about them again if you want, because it's nice <laughs> to talk about
2: them. It? I think collectively, it's a footballing cliche, but the desire there, and we saw the defenders, you know, throwing themselves in front of balls, throwing themselves at attackers, uh, like Jamal Mcells did to Harry Kane mm-hmm. uh, talked about Atsu coming on with that will to impose himself on the game um, and a player that we haven't really talked about much yeah. today some of his runs you well, know he, he, he does so havoc and you know that kind of desire to kind of get 30, 40, 50 yards further up the pitch um, so I think collectively it's about desire for me mm-hmm. uh, and that was really kind of shown and you know the fans at the end obviously you are going to be happy with a win but the manner of the performance and the kind of the graft that was put in um, was was really fantastic, and I think everyone really appreciated that. So it was brilliant. Individually, I mean, there's a lot of players that you can single out mm-hmm. here. Um, a couple that we haven't mentioned, Dubravka was brilliant, was. made a couple of really good saves. That black wokey bucket as well,
1: that all black wokey bucket. Yeah,
2: I mean, Great choice just of looks outfit. It prison, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. It looks a bit kind of uh, Dino Zoff-esque. I Lev Yashin. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yes, so some of his saves, and I think there was that volley from Son that came quite close in, and Son hit it into the ground, mm. and just the reaction, you know, yeah. that ball can go anywhere. There's,
1: so, there's such difficult um, shots and us to cope with when the when the smack of the ground with that kind of pace because the ball can spin off anyway so you're right it was a great save sorry I interrupted but no, you no. just reminded me of how good of a save it was it
2: was brilliant and some of his uh, his coming off his line to collect corners there are quite a few corners mm-hmm. um, jumping for balls coming into the box um, yeah I thought he was fantastic the defence you, you know you've got to kind of commend all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh and we've talked about crafts who played a lot better. Um and Paul Dummett with a lot of clearances, mm-hmm. including a header clearance that just glanced off the top of his head. And I think it was Mura that he kind of he stopped from from getting a header on, on target there. Um yeah, I mean I I can't really fault anyone there. Uh, I think it was a, a really kind of top to bottom um, really strong performance.
1: Yeah, there wasn't one performance less than seven out of ten Um, and there were a couple of eights, a couple of nines and I'll, I'll go as far as to say Dummett got a ten out of ten just because of his willingness to throw himself in front of everything. Now, on the Tactics podcast last week, me and Alex spoke about Dummett as being a potential weak link as the third centre-half and I'm not, you know, this is one game and he's performed brilliantly yeah. so it's, it's not a case of saying, oh, you know, I do fear sometimes when when he's in the side as is the left hand uh, left side defender in that back three. And I think in a home game where we're expected to attack more, I would still rather cheer LaSalle's Lejeune when fit is that is that first yeah, choice course, back three, especially in the home game. But everything that was asked from yesterday did fantastically well. Harry Kane didn't get a sniff, and that's down no. with the fact that obviously the service that comes in was stopped by the midfield, the hard work midfield and as you say, the wing backs, Richie and Kraft. Um the only concern I would have gone forward is that I think Spurs most of their joy came down the right hand side with Sissoko. and that was Sissoko getting in behind Richie with regularity. And that's probably more down to the fact that, you know, Richie does lack a little bit of pace. Yeah. And and he was kind of sucked in centrally because they were overloading in the centre. That's mm-hmm. what they were doing. So, you know, he, he did his job, and he did it, he did it well enough. Um but Lascelles I thought what was magnificent. And Fernandez comes on and it's great, it's great to have yeah when Nacelles goes off to have somebody with the experience Great. and the ability of Fernandes to come on is is excellent um, because they're very similar players um, and we've already mentioned the semi feelers Almiron you alluded to there I got a message from a Brazilian mate during the match and he said Almiron because he was everywhere and the fact that he wasn't having to come so deep yeah. and then we're losing him as, a, as an attacking threat on the break that was that was huge and this is because he's part of that front three so you've got Atsu and Almiron these incredibly mobile players with a load of pace buzzing round and every time we broke every time we broke we looked like scoring look at Armour run at the end that chance run, I when I deflected went over the ball. that would have been 2-0 that would have been a classic breakaway goal and that's because he was played in a position that he's good in um, yep. Joel Linton I have to talk about Joel Linton we've spoken about the goal and how good it was but his running was so intense yesterday that he was absolutely he was done by the end of the game done yep. and again having the with five minutes to go or whatever it was Being able to bring on Muto, this player who we know he's finishing to but he can run and he can run quick. And to be able to bring him on at that stage of the game against a tired defence that's been pushing forward, again, it's another option. And I think, yeah, everything everything that I wanted to see from that team um, pre-match yesterday, I saw it, that to me was... A performance like you know when we used to leave the leave the stadium after our Rafa performance and it was like they've had most of the possession, they've had most of the chances that you know inverted commas. But we've ground that out and we deserved it, despite the fact you look at the statistics, it looks and you watch match of the day and it looks like we're bad. Mm-hmm. Not at one point during that match yesterday did I feel that we were gonna lose, and I felt I actually felt that we deserve deserved that win. And and we'll talk about Steve Bruce in a second, but the reality is like he did that, he made that change yesterday, and it worked. So Good on him mm. I'm, I'm buzzing about it No yeah. doubt Brilliant I um, don't know if you Add had, had anything before We go on to possibly Bruce's post Match comments um, Actually I'll tell you What I'll ask you first Chris Is So obviously there's been this You know These stories in the press Talking about the negativity Towards Bruce Now I said that when I was At the stadium against Norwich We didn't hear any Anti-Bruce sentiment But people questioning what he was doing in yeah. terms of how it was going on the pitch. But it was never personal. Which was, it was never personal. And again, the same thing happened yesterday. Um, Did you feel any anti-Bruce sentiment in that crowd yesterday?
2: No, it was pretty neutral from where I was sat. Um, You know, obviously there was no pro-Bruce sentiment, but by the same measure, there was no kind of anti-Bruce-ness uh, either. It was kind of, I, I don't think, oddly for a manager that's kind of under pressure already kind of two games into the... The match as we kicked off, there wasn't really much focus on him. Um, yeah. It was it was kind of strange actually. It was almost like he was kind of put out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what you felt about that.
1: No, no, I, I do. I think it was interesting because you know when, you know when we've been managed by Rafa the last couple of seasons, you, you automatically always look to the sidelines to see what he's doing. Yeah, it's just a natural instinct. You're like, right, this is what's happened on the pitch. Look at the savings, You kind of gorge how. Things were going on the pitch by actually looking at Rafa's kind of bodywork and his, his, yeah. and his movement on the sidelines. Whereas yesterday, we didn't do that at all. Now, again, that's a testament to how well the players were playing. They were, they were disciplined, they were organised, they were determined. And again, Bruce made that change. And huge kudos to him. Um, but yesterday, as you see, I think it was all about the team on the pitch. They just played so well that we didn't even need to look over the sidelines. Um, I think, that, in fact, the only. Um, negative from yesterday. What were Bruce's post-match comments? Um, I thought that, you know, let let me let me read them out. Mm-hmm. We needed a bit of courage, and thankfully the players had that from the first whistle. We have tried to quieten the storm again. The use of the word storm, I think, is unnecessary. Yeah. Hopefully that will shut a few people up a little bit. I mean, that to me sounds like a, a, a dig to possibly some fans, but probably more towards Michael Chopra. It, it I, I find it. Insane that he's making these comments after one of, probably one of the best wins of his managerial career, if not the best win of his managerial career. Um, and after two games, it's been hard to get that criticism. We have to ride it out. Um, we've had a tough week, so we've had to respond in the right way, and thankfully the players have. I mean to say I cannot even do a warm up. is mad. I've managed 900 odd games, and over the years, you would think there would be some sort of respect. Huh. I'll go back to the fact that whoever took over from Rafa Benitez was going to get the abuse. I hope that is a line in the sand. For me, none of that was necessary. It should have all been about the fact that his team had produced a wonderful performance. Yeah,
2: yeah I totally agree. I don't feel the need for him to um, insert himself into uh, into the conversation that way. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no need. I think the focus should be on a really good performance that really sets us up for quite a big week in terms of the Cup and then a game against Watford next week that's going to be huge given that they have no points. Um, and I think that it would be better to focus on the positives rather than to dredge up stuff that over the past 90 minutes prior to him saying that had been forgotten about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just enjoy the win. Be positive about the players. Um, be positive about the tactics. You know, they, they kind of worked out. Um, yeah, there's no need for that. So I, I think he really needs to cut this out and, you know, just rising to the bait, I think, shows that. We were talking about his thin skin yesterday and, you know, he does have a thin skin and I don't think that, it helps matters to be bringing out Rafa Benitez anymore from him. I understand why why fans you know do, um, especially when the tactics change back to a more Benitez-esque um, setup. But uh, yeah, focus on the positives. It's just
1: not needed. Well, that's the, that. That's we'll we'll go towards the end of this, and that's what we'll focus on is you know what, what De Bruyne and the players take from this over the next week. Obviously, there's the Leicester Cup game now. It's going to be very interesting to see what kind of sides put out against Leicester. Whether or not the club is yeah. actually taking cup competitions seriously, it's going to be a very tough game against a really good side. I think Rodgers will really want to go for it in the cup um, because he probably sees it, it is silverware that, that is achievable for that side. Um, but I rather focus on the Watford game because that's what bread and butter. Yeah. Um, what do they take from this, players, manager, coaches?
2: I think the fact that first of all, obviously they've pulled out a really good performance under a lot of pressure and you know you've got to celebrate that resilience that there is on the part of the squad and you know the the coaching staff have uh, you know a, a large degree of influence on that so props to them for that obviously you're going to get a very different i would hope um set up against Watford at home which you know let's be fair and uh, all respect to them are a lesser opposition than spurs you're going to want the likes of longstaff being pushed further forward mm-hmm. and so on um but also you know i I I wouldn't want them to rest on their laurels and think, oh, we can do tactics, we can do well drilled now. Um, even against Watford at home, uh, I say even, um, you're going to need that kind of that discipline, that focus, because Watford have players that can hurt you. And even if you're playing in a more attacking setup, there does still need to be that focus and complete 100% um mindfulness of kind of what the job is not just for kind of 10 minutes not for 20 mm. not even for half but the whole of the game um, so I just I hope that they they see the value of first of all preparation and second of all um, yeah discipline and uh, adherence to a tactical setup and game plan
1: absolutely um, I want and hope to see them take from it the self-belief that, yeah. that they ought to have and um, the self belief that was engendered last season, and I think, I hope Bruce has come away from that with a lot more belief in the players, and mm. you know, a, a lot more belief in himself. He has to, he has to yeah. have. Um, yeah, yeah. I think you know that the the comments after the first two games of the season were very much comments of somebody who was actually doubting themselves. There's no two ways about it. Otherwise, you wouldn't snap like that. And and I want him to take from it that actually, we can get things right here. I do have the nucleus of a decent side. Players mm. who, who players who we've got. You know, strong wills and who who don't want to give up. And I really want them to um come out against Watford and just just maintain that discipline, maintain that belief because structure. Yeah, the structure, because because we can't win And you know what Bruce should take from yesterday? He put out a say yesterday and he managed a game yesterday in which Mauricio Pochettino, one of the best managers in Europe, one of the best managers in the world, couldn't answer. And that's something that you, you should take out of that like don't go overboard with it, but at the same time, you know, take the confidence and the belief from yeah. that. Actually, I've just, I've just basically, I Mauricio Pochettino have ninety minutes. That's a good thing. And they, there's some a lot of positive to take from that. Like Spurs didn't have an answer. Pochettino didn't have an answer other than throw Eriksson on and yeah. keep playing. Like keep keep playing with the ball. Keep the high press. They couldn't break down one of the most determined, rugged defensive displays. I think I've seen in Newcastle United. Um, so I uh, brilliant, and I suppose. Um, we could probably just end it there, unless you have anything further to say, Chris. I guess
2: the only question to you would be if you were to have a kind of fruit-based analogy for yesterday's performance, what what would it be?
1: Oh God, I would probably I'd probably go with a kiwi fruit, because. Um, actually, no, I wouldn't go with a with a kiwi fruit, Chris. You've just reminded me of something I said during the match there, which is a moment of genius. I would see a tangerine because that strip. The color of it was tangerine. Yes, it was a dream. It's a tangerine dream, isn't it? Tangerine dream. How are the lads?
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance.